Welcome to Thriller Bitcoin. Welcome to Thriller Bitcoin. Friday, man. Happy Good Friday. Yeah, happy Good Friday. Cheers, buddy. I think we're. Are, are you drinking a beer too? No, I don't drink. Um, this is a, a Kirkland sparkling water lemon. <laughs> but I'm I, using- I honestly, from when I was in Pleblob, dude, I miss those because I, I was drinking those like they're going out of style. I swear, you guys load up on those. Dude, things. We off. have to, man. Like, there's so many. Uh, yeah, and then uh, a way slice dropped us off all that beer too. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't partake in too much of that. I uh, maybe had like one or two while I was there, but um, yeah, the sparkling waters. I definitely do remember those. And I'm like, man, I need to go to like Costco or something and pick a bunch of those up. Yeah, dude, that Costco man. Costco's a good good company. Have you ever researched Costco? I don't want to go into too much of a tangent here, but ta- Costco's a very interesting company. How it started and how they look at things. It's a it's a very interesting company to research. Yeah. So I haven't like researched anything outside of like, maybe like their financials or other things like that. Like kind of looked at like, cause when it comes to like the economy and other things that you like to look at, yeah, I guess how consumers are behaving. And a lot of things that you can tell from consumers is, you know, whether it's uh, target, Walmart, Costco, like their kind of earnings and, and revenue and sales and other things like that. So you can tell from that stuff, um, but as far as like the actual company, like how it got started and all that, I haven't really looked into it. The only thing I really know is like they've the the hot dog and uh, soda combo that they have is uh, the probably the most recession proof thing of all time because they haven't changed that price in years. But um, other than that, I haven't done too much of a dive into it. Yeah, so so it's interesting. Uh, just real quick, and for the for the clubs listening at home, like they they get you with the hot dog and the that's that's part of their whole thing that they do and then the other thing that they did was they they were originally named price club back in like 1970 something and um but they they found it was much easier to to grow if they had like name brand um items so like the kirkland brand that they have like 
potentially like no one really tells you, but like potentially they have reached out to like Coca-Cola and some of these other distributors to like make their, their brands, like even the wines and all the stuff that they hold there. So you don't even know if like it's, it's, it's people say like, Oh, the Kirkland wine or whatever that they have, the Costco wine is actually really, really good. It's probably made because it's like from a really reputable distributor. Um, so that, that's kind of, but they just like give them a white label. You know what I mean? So it's, it's fascinating. That wouldn't surprise me at all, honestly. Like I know, like, I mean, Target and all that, they like basically just look at like the ingredients of, you know, Advil, for example, and then they make the exact same thing. And then they just put it as like an off brand, uh, like a Target brand thing. And then they create their own brand. So I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, uh, Costco does something similar, but reaches out to the actual manufacturers and just says like, Hey, like, will you do this with us? Like we'll sell, it a little bit cheaper because we sell it at bulk and then, you know, we'll give you the, the profit kind of thing. Um, what's interesting yeah, I mean, to, strategy. What's interesting too, is like, so they, they've kind of created all this whole like market for it. Um, and then you'll have other people copy them. <laughs> and then, so like, you know, Sam's club, uh, you know, and then like even Ikea in some, in some parts of it. Right. So it's interesting yeah. to see where like all the alpha is coming from <laughs> and then like everybody else is, well, it's, it's evenly distributed once it's out there, but it's interesting how like there's one particular company that has all these ideas that's, you know, moving the space forward and then everybody else is just able to, you know, not so much yeah, copy I mean, them, but replicate it basically. I mean, that's how it starts though. Right. I mean like Apple computers, right. You got to think like they were the kind of like the first to make, um, you know, the iPod, for example, and then the iPhone, then everybody else kind of came out with like smartphones and other things like that. So it always takes like one to be like the first mover. And then everybody else kind of like copies because I guess there's like, technically you can't be a monopoly in in any of these things. So even though they're like the first ones that come out, they, I know it takes some time to develop, I guess the quote unquote monopoly. So they can have that, I guess, like nice mode at the beginning for being like a first mover. But, you know, usually if somebody's got some sort of uh, good idea, people kind of tend to follow that and, you know, emulate that in a sense. Yeah. And I, I think it's at least from what kind of what I can see from the outside looking in, it looks just like just the gas pedal is pushed down and like they're not stopping <laughs> regardless. Yeah. Right. It's it's fascinating to look at it from like a business perspective. Um but uh, we had you on today uh, before we get too far off topic. I had you on today because dude, the last, the last pod you did was really amazing. The macro talk that we did. So I, I kind of, and I told you right when we ended, I was like, dude, we should do these every quarter. Cause like you have a way of explaining this to the clubs. That's just way less intimidating. Can you talk about that? Like, why do you think you have that? Uh, why do you think you're able to pull that off? When I listen to some of these other macro guys, you know, and it's just like, it doesn't seem like they're talking English, man. Like to be quite honest, and I don't consider myself a really, you know, <laughs> dumb guy, but like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I think like everybody in a sense, when they get into Bitcoin, right, they look into a lot of these things, whether it's, you know, some sort of macroeconomics, you know, Keynesian economics, like, uh, you know, Austrian economics, like these different topics that a lot of these guys, uh, you know, FinTwit guys, I guess, so to speak, kind of ascribe to. And, you know, for me, like, I have an engineering background, so I wouldn't say like, yeah, yeah. I don't think like you or I are dumb people or like even the plebs out there listening. Like, you know, I'm sure a bunch of people out there listening are like, oh, you know, I'm modest. I'm, I'm a dumb idiot, but I get Bitcoin or something like that. I think like in a sense, like a lot of these topics related to, to macro 
can be dumbed down and be pretty easy to understand, but they're just intimidating at first. And there's a lot of jargon that's used, right? So I mean, like, there's a lot of jargon to just basically explain like elementary school or like middle school math that everybody really understands. But, you know, like I said, in a sense, like, this is what they learned. This is what they taught. They were taught these phrases, these acronyms or whatever it is for, you know, these certain, I don't know, topics in whatever, um, you know, industry it is, whether it's like the stock market, real estate, just overall macroeconomics. And at the end of the day, it's just kind of, you know, you can dumb it down and make it pretty simple to understand and be like, all right, that makes logical sense. And that's where I think like there's kind of a gap between, you know, maybe Bitcoiners and like somebody who's been like brought up in this quote unquote system where it's like they've been brought up in, you know, the current financial like monetary policy. This is how it's always been their entire lives. Their parents career, for example, like kind of revolves around this. And so that's, in a sense, like what they know and they think it's going to work forever. They never think that this system's going to break. But it takes somebody like, you know, like you or I, who doesn't who doesn't really have that background and kind of like dives into it a little bit, be like, wait, like, you know, you kind of look at it with more of a critical lens. Like if you're actually trying to learn and you don't necessarily just accept the status quo and you're like, hey, like this doesn't really make sense you know, the way I'm looking at it, like, why do we always need a 2% inflation? Like, why does this thing work this way? You know, so certain aspects of it that way. um, So I think for me, I've always like really appreciated what uh, like the FinTwit macro guys and real estate pros, like what they bring to the table. Because I mean, it you know, you have to understand the system really well in order to make a lot of money off the system. And so they can explain really what's going on um, but I try to just bring it down to my level. So I, I'm lucky enough where like I've built the, the audience and the, you know, the, the rep where I can talk to a lot of these people and they can, you know, come into whatever forum or spaces or whatever it is. And then I just like selfishly am able to just ask them stupid questions and then they, they answer it. And then I'm, if they bring up some acronym, I'm like, wait, like, let's bring this down. What does this actually mean? Um, and usually like it kind of helps my understanding and they appreciate that kind of curiosity too. So I think like, you know, in, in a sense, like it allows me to one, explain it to, to the everyday person because I'm an everyday person, right. You know, I, I have to be able to understand it in order to explain it. And then two, you know, it kind of brings them like some sort of appreciation for, you know, just the average person trying to understand. So they're not, you know, talking to maybe a colleague who understands like a lot of this stuff and goes through their day to day with them. It's more so like, hey, you know, it's the average Joe on the street. We're either having a, a beer or coffee or, you know, kind of having a casual conversation like we're having here and uh, we can understand what's going on. Right. Yeah. I, I think I think for me, like talking to you about all this kind of macro stuff. Um, for me, it's informing because I, I, I don't really pay attention to a lot of this stuff. Um, I, I mean, I do, but it's not like in the front of my mind. A lot of the stuff that I pay attention to is like developer focused and open source and stuff like that and all the things that I do. But it it um, it doesn't really fall into like the looking at this. So like, uh, luckily I have a lot of friends like yourself who can kind of fill me in and like get me doomy and gloomy with where things are headed. Um, what's going on with this whole Silicon Valley bank? I saw, yeah. I saw that you had a post up on uh, green candle investments, like just give, give the plugs kind of a rundown. I'm sure they heard it from a lot of 
already Bitcoiners, but like for the people that, you know, cause a lot of us don't have tech stocks, right? We just have Bitcoin. A lot of us don't care about some like Silicon Valley bank out there, but why should we care? I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I guess high level Silicon Valley bank le- loaned and had a lot of accounts with a lot of wealthy individuals who either one was, uh, you know, some companies, some growth tech stocks, um, or tech companies that had either their, where they're paying their employees out of these accounts or, um, you know, had maybe some venture capitalists uh, that, you know, had their money in these, in this local regional bank. So there's usually, it's kind of like a big split, right? So there's regional banks, you know, I'm sure that there's one that's kind of local to Austin or Texas or maybe central Texas that you guys, you know, can have some familiarity to. Like when I was in college, I went to the University of Memphis. Uh, when I got my rent checks for track, I would go and deposit it at Tennessee's first bank. So, you know, that's another regional bank where, you know, you can kind of go in and have that business to, you know, bank relationship where, you know, car, for example, if you want to go get a loan, it's it's much more difficult to have, uh, you know, call up JP Morgan Chase or Wells Fargo to be like, hey, you know, I'm starting this restaurant on the corner or whatever it is on 6th Street. And I know it's going to work because there's a lot of foot traffic and all this stuff, but you just got to give me some time and a little bit of leeway, you know, to, to get this off the ground. Whereas like you go to a, a, some, a bank down the street, you might've grown up with this banker, or you might've like been able to establish some sort of relationship with them where they know you, they know where you live. They know like all this stuff, they could come knock on your door. They could come physically check out your business. So those banks like are really important, I think, to small businesses. And so Silicon Valley Bank, they're a little bit bigger than that, but they're still a regional bank. They obviously, you know, are in Silicon Valley. They have branches in like Boston and kind of like overseas and other places too. But like I said, their main kind of hub is in Silicon Valley. So they loan to a lot of these, you know, big tech and startups and whatever. It kind of helped with that Silicon Valley boom that we've seen probably over the past decade or so. Um, but what comes with that, right, is a lot of is a lot of volatility. So what they did, they put a lot of their money in quote unquote safe, uh, you know, bond portfolios. And so, you know, how a bank obviously works is that they they don't really have all your money in there. So if if one thing that you've learned for the past like I don't know few months or so is that when you deposit your bank or your your money inside of a bank, the bank loans that out to either other individuals or uh, uses it to buy some sort of investments. So this bank obviously loaned out to some of these, you know, volatile companies like growth and tech stocks who have been getting crushed lately. And then they also bought a bunch of quote unquote safe bonds when the interest rates were zero. And so, you know, bonds, when they're zero, you can get a bond that'll pay out like two, 3%, 4%, whatever, very low. But when the Federal Reserve hikes up interest rates at a rate that they did, that makes for a very you know bad disaster, right? Because one, the tech stocks are getting killed because you know it's getting harder to get money, get hard, getting harder to get loans. Um, venture capitals are kind of venture capitalists are kind of tightening up on how much they're giving to these startups, so they need to dip into their funds that are sitting in these bank accounts at Silicon Valley Bank, and then two how bonds work, they're strictly based off like basically the interest rates of the Fed. So uh, as the Fed, you know, basically hikes up all these interest rates at at a very fast pace, the bonds are now at a losing value because, you know, you can get bonds at, you know, 30 year, the 10 year, the five year bonds at like 
you know, four, five, six percent. Whereas like, you know, a few years ago, you could only get those at like two to three percent. So they basically had to sell off a bunch of bond, a bunch of their bond portfolio in order to cover a lot of these withdrawals to so uh, companies could pay their employees. And then the CEO or CFO, one of the like higher ups in the company tweeted out like, hey, they're looking to fundraise, which basically like, you know, sent off this red flag to everybody involved and everybody that had their money in this account. And so they're like, all right, we need to get our money the hell out of here and put it somewhere else. And so, you know, this has kind of been, you know, it's a bad situation for Silicon Valley Bank, but it was also an extremely poorly managed bank. Like one of the higher ups in that company had a prior prior, uh, position at the Fed, I believe. So, um, you know, they they didn't really have too much oversight. So it's also like, all right, as far as like regulation goes, like why wasn't this bank, you know, more regulated or other things like that? There's also an article that came out that, you know, 183 other banks could be in the same position as Silicon Valley Bank. Wow. I've talked to a lot of, uh, I guess, macro guys who have been involved in banking and, and Fed and other things like that. They think that's a little bit overblown or a lot of bit overblown, I guess, is how I should word it because of how poorly run Silicon Valley Bank was. Um, but I mean... Every kind of, I guess, recession or some sort of economic downturn. Uh, if you look at the chart, I know Alex Gladstein's tweeted it out, um, you know, previously. Uh, but if you look at the number of regional banks, like from 2008 on, it, it's decreased every single year. So, you know, because Silicon Valley banks, like, you know, helped out a lot of these big startups and saw like a giant boom and a lot of wealthy people had their money in there. That's why you heard about it. But this isn't anything new, really, for stuff that happens kind of in, you know, this sort of macro environment that we're in, where, it, you know, interest rates are high, um, you know, money's harder to come by. And, you know, startups, in a sense, are, are not exactly flourishing like they were from, you know, maybe 2010 to 2020 time. So, um, you know, all in all, it, it was like a big issue because of a lot of the companies that were banking with Silicon Valley Bank. But like at the same time, is there a contagion or not? I, I'm not quite sure on that. There's like definitely people on both sides of the table. But it seems like, um, you know, at the very least, the, the way that information spreads now mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the uh, interest rate uh, environment where they keep hiking it up. There could be potential for more bank runs where, you know, uh, banks kind of bleeding out and, there's a sign of some weakness in a certain bank. Maybe their stock falls by a bunch and, uh, you know, founders and uh, VCs are texting each other saying like, Hey, let's get our money all out of this bank and move it to like a JP Morgan chase or a Wells Fargo. So, so yeah, so that's the thing that I'm trying to like roundabout, like try to get to is like the conclusion of this. Right. Uh, And maybe we can't get to it on this pod. Maybe what, maybe, you know, we're not soothsayers or anything. We can't see into the future, but if this plays out the way it's supposed to, Brandon, where like, you know, you have Silicon Valley Bank and I think Credit's, is Credit Suisse, is that what it's called? Yeah. Was also, so Credit, yeah. Yeah. Credit Suisse is more like a European bank. So the European banking situation is a lot worse because, you know, there's a bunch of different political jurisdiction, like, you know, geopolitics in a sense, right? So like Credit Suisse has been a poorly managed bank for a lot of years and that's been kind of uh, making some headlines for quite some time too. So I don't know how they're still kind of 
I guess, standing in a sense, but, uh, you know, they haven't had quite the bank run or gone to bankruptcy that uh, Silicon Valley Bank has. Um, There's also a bank in Germany. The name of it is kind of slipping my mind. I think it's Deutsche Bank um, is also having like some serious issues. But the the one benefit that the U.S. has over a lot of these European banks is like, for example, if a German bank, for example, um, you know, if a German German bank like Deutsche Bank goes under, and uh, you know the the European Union, they all kind of make this decision whether or not to bail this bank out. Well, it's like, all right, well, if there's a conflict with like Poland and Germany, for example, and Poland has enough pull where they're like, hey, or Italy and Germany, if they have a, some sort of disagreement where it's like the Italians don't want to bail out the German banks, there's going to be some sort of you know back and forth there. Whereas in America, you know, there maybe seem like there's some like regional differences, like maybe somebody from Florida won't necessarily want this bank in California to be bailed out. But, you know, we're all under one jurisdiction. So if they they make the decision to bail this bank out, they're going to bail this bank out. Whereas, you know, like I said, in Europe, there's a lot of uh, uh, hens in the in the hen house, I guess. Right. And, and so, so it like, so this happens, right? The Silicon Valley bank and we had the, the signature and some of these other crypto, you know, banks as well. W- what exactly happened with those? Is it really this whole choke, choke point thing that you keep hearing on Twitter and everywhere else? Yeah. I mean, so w- when a situation like this happens, it basically just leaves the door open for more regulation, right? I mean, so that's basically what we're going to kind of see, I think, is that they're going to point the finger at crypto even though really it was more like tech and kind of other things like that. But they're going to say like, hey, this wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for these crypto companies banking with Silicon Valley Bank, when in reality, that's not the case, right? I mean, like, say what you want about crypto companies or things like that. But at the end of the the day, it was more like misallocation and like lack of risk management that went into this, uh, you know, Silicon Valley Bank debacle. And so, you know, because of that, uh, like I said, they're going to come down with more regulation on the crypto industry. And that's like the first point of all of that is going to be the banks, right? I mean, like, no matter what company you are, you're going to need a bank account right now. Like we still live in somewhat of a, you know, fiat society, like maybe we can go buy tacos or buy, you know, a beef box from you know, KNC cattle or something like that with Bitcoin. But, you know, for a business to operate right now, you still need cash. You know, you still need uh, dollars. You still need to be able to park that somewhere, unfortunately. And if, you know, you do something uh, related to Bitcoin or have Bitcoin or crypto in your name or something like that, that's where, you know, having less regional banks is a huge negative because, you know, if you have only like four players in the game, if one of them tells you no, the other one's going to question, all right, why did this other guy tell you no? And there's only, like I said, there's only a few people in the game. So it's going to be like the, the the killing of regional banks is really detrimental to small business and startups. And so that's where I hope that this trend doesn't continue, but I don't see how it cannot. Yeah. Okay. So, so now that we kind of, like you kind of explained that part, right? So now let's, let's kind of go a little further to like the, you know, like the community banks, I guess they're regional banks, right? Like, yeah. How, how, how exactly are those banks going to get affected and are they affected by this? And like, what, like, let's say hypothetically, let's say there's a club out there 
you know, living in central Texas, you know, banks with a, with a, you know, with a community bank that's like far away from Silicon Valley or, or from, you know, all this kind of craziness that's going on over there. Like, is his money safe in some of these, you know, community banks? Like, or is it just as, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's FDIC insurance, right? So if you have $250,000 in a certain account, it's basically like, quote unquote, safe, right? It's going to be backed by the government. If you're, you know, if that bank fails, if you have less than 250,000, that money theoretically is safe. But, you know, like, like you said, or, you know, like we've kind of noticed here is that if you all go to the bank at, the, at this certain time and you try to pull your money out, it's not going to be all there, right? But Jerome Powell and the Fed has also kind of come out and said, they haven't like outwardly said this, but they've kind of hinted towards if another bank fails, they're basically going to insure all deposits. Like they can't outwardly come and say that because then, you know, banks are going to mismanage it poorly. But if you kind of read through the tea leaves of the last meeting and other things like that, they basically come out and said it. Um, but, you know, what it means for some of those regional banks is that you know, the, the big dogs are the ones that really have a lot of, I guess, like scrutiny and a lot more, um, I guess, regulation that they have to dance around. And that's why it's like better to, to form that, you know, personal relationship to a regional bank because they're a little bit more lenient. What I think is going to happen is that the you know policies around regional banking is going to get a little bit more strict. Like I said, when there's a big issue that kind of makes a lot of headlines, that always leaves room for the government to kind of come in and say, hey, you need some more regulation. You need Big Brother to come in and kind of protect you from some issue like this happening again. And so what I think is going to happen is that the regulations that are currently intact for like the big players are probably going to trickle down to, to more of the regional levels, which, like I said before, is really detrimental to small business and like a lot of startups trying to get loans. Granted, it'll mean it's harder to get loans and harder to like kind of start up that way. You know, as far as like a bank loan, which might be good, might be bad, I don't know. But, you know, there's always still a chance you can go and get venture capital money somewhere else, you know, to from an actual venture capitalist opposed to getting to the banks. So I've heard it on both sides. Some people believe that, you know, kind of killing off or making these regional banks a little bit more regulated would be good for startups because it, it all falls back on venture capitalists. Whereas, you know, with Silicon Valley Bank, because it failed, essentially that, that backing falls on the taxpayer now, where instead like some rich, rich guy who, you know, gave this stupid company a couple million dollars, um, you know, would be the one kind of paying, paying the piper at this point. Um, and then the other thought of it is like, you know, well, anything that kind of hurts small business or anything like that, uh, mm -hmm. unable to kind of get a bank loan, uh, kind of makes you rely on other people. And then that, that doesn't make your business like maybe what you want it to be because you have to rely on you know, I don't know, Joe Schmo, whoever the venture capitalist is, and you have to be like, hey, you know, is it okay to make this move? You have to go and like kind of look over your shoulder at every decision you're making and other things like that, where, you know, if you get a bank loan, usually they just kind of give you the money and then they check in every now and then. To, as long as you're paying, they don't really contact you. Yeah. And that, that's good. That's the kind of thing I'm wondering about these community banks, right? Because you, you, theoretically, you, you, would, uh, you, would, you, would, you would guess that maybe they're you know, loaning out to people that are doing like development, you know, in and around their city or in and around their community. 
So a lot of these should be, um, I want to say like, uh, like all the money that they're, that they're getting in its deposits. A lot of those should have been given to other local and medium sized businesses, small, medium sized businesses in the area. Right. So you would think they would still be good. Um, that that's, that's the majority of where their money would be, would be allocated at. Right. Or, or is there something else to that? Yeah. I mean, like I said, Silicon Valley was a very unique situation because of like one, the location where it is and like two, just kind of like that tech boom that happened in Silicon Valley. So those companies, you know, kind of blew up and a scale that, you know, nobody could really anticipate. Um, but like for the most part, if you go to like flyover country in the U S right, those people are either loaning to commercial real estate developers or, you know, uh, maybe some local mom and pop real estate people, uh, maybe a restaurant owner, maybe something like kind of that for the local community, opposed to, you know, this big old tech company that's making, um, you know, vegan cat food for transgenders or something like that. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of what I'm like, that that's kind of what what's getting me to think like, okay, well, how, how much cover do they actually have? And do they have cover here at these community banks and, you know, but I guess we'll just kind of have to wait and see and how that kind of yeah. plays out. Like, personally, I don't think that the the Fed is like supposed to be in charge of, you know, the banking, the, the health of the banking system, even though they don't like hourly work together. So, I mean, my personal opinion, like the market's kind of been con- almost like dictating where things go. And they've already priced in a hundred basis points uh, cut when it comes to like interest rates by January of next year, which is pretty rapid compared to, you know, the, the pace that they've gone up already. So, um, you know, we'll see if that actually happens. I've kind of ascribed to the theory that, you know, Powell will, will stay higher for longer or just kind of like, let it, let the interest rates lie flat opposed to, you know, continuing to raise. And so, you know, at this point, I think if they were to see more issues in the banking system, I mean, we've just kind of like on Bitcoiners as on Twitter and, and other places, it's just we've all become, like myself included, cynical, where like anytime any of these Fed officials or anything like that just basically says anything, I think it's the complete opposite. I think that they're lying and other things like that. But in this instance, I'd be very surprised if they let it get to a point where like, multiple banks are failing and we're getting to a point where, you know, we need like a giant, giant amount of bank bailouts before they like flip course and, uh, you know, like reverse course on interest rates and other things like that. So I don't know, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I just think that, you know, like I said, it's, it's something that is not quite the contagion that we're, I guess, seeing on Twitter, the doom and gloom and whatnot. But, um, it's definitely not a healthy banking situation to say the least. Yeah. And that's kind of, that, that's where I want to switch gears here and go to, uh, I want to talk about CBDCs because I feel like that falls right in line with the whole CBDC talk. We were at Austin Bitcoin club last night. Michael had a really great panel. It was, at, you know, Parker, Cole, and um, gosh, I forget the other one. Um, but anyway, it, it was, it was a great panel and um, um, we were talking about CBDCs, talking about all this kind of stuff. And the thing that I kind of, realized is like, you know, it, it sounds conspiracy conspiratorial right now. Cause it's like in, you know, people think Bitcoiners are all conspiratorial and we all believe in conspiracies and all that kind of stuff. Um, but 
CBDCs look like they're coming on the horizon. Like this is something that a lot of us have have said, including myself, for over like two years at this point. Like we've all known this kind of Fed coin was coming. You know, it's been branded Fed now. Uh, they made this announcement two years ago in 2021. Like I wrote about it back then when I used to have Substack. Like we knew this was going to happen. I think um, it's just funny. You know, this is kind of where the conspiracy tinfoil hat people say like, oh, it's just funny how all these banks are collapsing right around the same time this Fed now is getting released. What do, what do you what do, what do you think about all this kind of taking place around the same time? Yeah, I mean, it's well, one, like banks are collapsed. And then, you know, like I said, like regional banks getting swallowed up by like four of the big players. Well, what does that mean? Right. Like there's less, uh, I guess, quote unquote, decentralized banking. Right. So there's just four guys and you got to say like, hey, you know, shut down these bank accounts if they're not using CBDCs, the, uh, you know, U.S. printed CBDCs. It just like less like fewer avenues that they have to go through. Um, and these are all essentially controlled by the SEC and the government. So um, I think that's kind of alarming in a sense, too. But I mean, we're seeing like de-dollarization kind of globally. Right. So we're seeing you know, the BRICS countries kind of come up and they've, they've announced that they're developing their own. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I want to call it like a central bank digital currency because it's going to be like the BRICS digital currency. So it's like through multiple countries. So I don't know how that. I guess differentiates from like a potential like CBDC because they don't all have a central bank. Um, but you know, we're we're seeing a lot of other countries kind of start to develop this. China has the digital yuan already, and they're kind of using that and like kind of rolling out the pilot social credit score, all that kind of stuff. In the US, I definitely think that this is something that they're they're trying to implement. I mean, we do have some politicians really fighting it or coming out against it. You know, Ron DeSantis in Florida um, has already kind of come out and said that. And he's, you know, a potential uh, presidential candidate. So I wouldn't be surprised if like this is going to be on the ballot um, next year where like people are kind of running on this. And this is going to be a big topic of conversation. I know that we've been, you know, kind of talking about Bitcoin now for, I don't know, for, for quite some time. And it seems like politicians like in 2020 time and 2022 kind of had some sort of view like that would kind of make headlines where, I don't know, Joe Schmo had some sort of view on Bitcoin or was a Bitcoiner and Bitcoiners would rejoice because this politician was now a Bitcoiner and they were really into it. And it was like one or two of them. I think now in this next election cycle next year, it's going to be on every single ballot. Like, I think you're not going to be able to avoid the conversation at this point. And I think that's like one because of uh, what happened at Silicon Valley Bank. And then, uh, you know, two, just be, because of like the potential development of a CBDC, like when that rolls out, you know, if the next president is in office and that Fed now coin or whatever it is, it's going to be called is ready. Like, is that president going to be willing to, you know, put that out. I don't know. I don't know. It really depends. So I think it's going to be, it's, it's definitely a, a topic of conversation. And I don't think like if we, if we've seen anything from the past two years uh, or I guess three years now, um, if we've seen anything from that, I mean, the government in the United States is not, you know, the United States is not necessarily like the land of the free as a, uh, it's been marketed to us. Like since we've been growing up, you know? Yeah, dude, this is where like, this is where for me, this is as kind of like, 
you know, this is kind of where I start thinking like, in, in, in like, if like letting the, like, there's a, there's a saying that like, uh, in the music industry where it's like, let, let, let the tape roll, like play it out. Like, like if you're, you're in the middle of a jam session and everybody's, everybody's vibing and it's good, just let the tape roll. Just like, let it, let it play out. And, and when you start playing these things, when you start playing these, these, these kind of these instances out, it's kind of clear to me, there's two things that are, that are, we're in a war right now. And it's like an obvious war and everybody, every Bitcoiner knows what it is. It's like energy. And then this money war. Right. And they're very, they're very connected, like supremely connected. Right. Uh, why? It's because you have, you know, Bitcoin uses a lot of energy, right? Rightfully so. Right. Cause it's decentralized. You also have people fighting us because of the energy that it's using. Right. So we go after stranded nat natural gas and some of these other things. Um, also, the, the problem is, is like some of us don't some of them don't even want us to use that type of energy because they consider it like um, like, you know, some kind of dinosaur egg that we can't touch or something. It's the most ridiculous thing in the world. Like the grid system is probably the, the greatest invention of, of our time. Right. Like it, there's a reason we're, we're in a digital age where it requires a ton of energy to use. Like we're not moving away from that, ladies and gentlemen, like it's not going away. So for, for, for me, it, it's, it's obvious you see like some of these people here and even in Texas, right, where we think we're safe from a lot of the cover fire of, of like energy and trying to touch our grid and stuff like they just introduced a bill um, here where they're going to try to start capping miners on the grid balancing programs that they've enacted a few years ago and pull, pulling those back. So it's almost like they're trying to remove a lot of the power that uh, these, like at least here in Texas, that we have as far as like the energy means uh, being able to do whatever we wanted. Um, within our, within our, you know, confines. And, and for me, and, and Bitcoin fits perfectly right in line with that. Fed's coming after Bitcoin now. They're closing all the fiat on-ramps and off-ramps. You have the, the Greenpeace people coming after energy, right? right you know, it, it just seems like it's, they're like really trying to, you know, come at us from both sides, right? And the CBDC just looks more and more like it's going to be a thing. It happens. We all have to, I mean, cause at the end of the day, we can't pay our electricity bills. I can't pay, uh, you know, the rent for the space here with, with Bitcoin yet. Like they control all the infrastructure. Um, yeah, man, nope. it almost feels you're, hopeless in, in a sense. You're, you're nailing it on the head, right? I mean, I think we're truly in the time, you know, as, as corny as it is, we're truly in the time of the, now they fight us. Right. I mean, oh, like you're seeing it, like you said, on both sides, the energy aspect and then, um, you know, uh, the energy aspect and then, um, you know, the on-ramps situation. So this is where I think like, you know, being able to be self-sufficient, the sovereign individual, that kind of thesis is going to really play out. But in the United States, it, you can only do so much, right? I mean, like I'm in this house, like I technically own it, but I have a mortgage on it. Like the bank technically owns, you know, more of it. I have to pay some of it back. And then even if I were to pay that all down, I still got to pay property taxes. I mean, we saw some like, I think it was like JP Morgan Chase or something, some bank like high up leader basically said like, hey, if they don't comply with this, we should go and like seize private property. And so there's like, you know, situations here in the US where people are calling for, you know, them to take away a lot of our freedoms and other things like that. And, and just like you said, with Texas has been one of the, the biggest proponents of Bitcoin mining. And they just took the biggest step backwards, I think, that they possibly could have taken by trying to regulate all these things. Like, I feel like the miners and, you know, Texas Energy and all that kind of stuff, they've been playing pretty nice. You know, when it was super hot over the summer, they're like, hey, we'll turn off. 
And then if when it was like, you know, having those ice storms all over uh, the state of Texas. They're this like, year, right, it was great, dude. Everything everything worked like it was supposed to. We didn't see the trees coming, but like everything else was was working like it was supposed to. It's working. Exactly. And that's the thing that they're trying to stop, Brandon. Yeah. And I and I just don't really see like I don't understand where 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 that's coming from. But I mean, you know, I like I think I grew up with like parents who were like really patriotic and everything like that. Like America is the greatest country in the world. But you know, I think if you go pull a lot of people like in between our age, car or like even like a little bit, especially younger than me. If you go ask them, like, "Hey, is America the greatest country on earth?" All of them will say no. That they really. They hate this thing yeah wow. i mean like i feel like the sentiment around like patriotism is very poor and so you know when it when it comes to that a lot more people are going to be willing to just jump ship and go to these other countries that make it more free make it like you know in a sense where you know like el salvador for example right i mean every bitcoiner's favorite example they're like not taxing any of these tech companies that come in and innovate and start in el salvador and then I know if you have a business in El Salvador and you, you know, hire El Salvadorians or people that live in the country, they're bringing a lot of tax incentives to come down there. So eventually people are going to go where the incentives lie. And that's where I just think this whole thing is going is like the U.S. is is shooting itself in the foot at this point. It's been a country where, you know, it's really been ripe for innovation. You can come here. People still travel all over from the globe to the US to still try to reach that American dream. Whereas, you know, uh, they're, they're realizing it might not be as, uh, I guess, suited for the quote unquote American dream as we've seen before. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, this whole like CBDC, um, you know, regulation around energy, all that kind of stuff, it's just like, it's a huge step backwards for the United States, whether it comes to Bitcoin or anything else, because it shows that, hey, if like, you know, they, they truly don't understand what is going on here. One with the money situation or the energy situation, like how Bitcoin mining works, how it can regulate the grid, how it can help, like, you know, use some of this excess energy that's just lost, like, you know, all the benefits from Bitcoin mining. And they're just like willing to be like, hey, you know, we're going to uh, we're we were diving into this at first, but now we're going to take a step back. And I think like the state of Texas is probably going to see some pain from that. And, you know, as somebody that grew up there and, you know, you live there and like there's a huge hub of Bitcoiners like in Houston and Austin and I'm sure in Dallas and other these big cities, too. You know, I, I'm sure that that'll uh, make uh, some Bitcoin miners who maybe were planning on bringing in another plant to Texas, ha- make them have a second glance. Like maybe they look at some other state now. And, you know, as much as we are all one country different states can prosper um, while others suffer too. So um, it is kind of unfortunate. And I uh, hope that that bill, uh, I don't know, maybe gets revoked or something like that. I, I don't know. I don't, I think it's already been passed though at this point. Well, it looks so like it's, it looks like the proposed, it says proposed new law. Uh, it's been uh, unanimously passes committee view. So I think we still have another session to go through. Uh, and then we have some, some, big people here in town that are trying to fight that. Right. So, um, yeah. yeah, so it, I mean, it hasn't, nothing's unanimous yet. It doesn't look like, but it looks like it's, uh, it's, it's still proposal. Um, so, I mean, we'll see, I think at the end of, uh, I think at the end of the day, like they're coming after ERCOT, right. They're coming after, after the grid and like, they're yeah. trying to protect it. And like, it, it goes back to the energy and Bitcoin thing. Right. Um, uh, 
dude, we saw tremendous growth during COVID and, and that's kind of like not flattened out, but it's like not as many people are coming, you know, to Texas anymore. Cause there's now the States are starting to open up again. So like e- even Tesla went back to, to like, uh, to where he, he was at, you know, it was all, it's yeah. all kosher now. So there's, I mean, there's opportunists everywhere. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, we, I think we're still, we're still a strong hub here. We still, we have a strong community on Bitcoiners here inside of central Texas and, and everywhere. And it's only going to get oranger, quite frankly. Uh, I, I don't, I don't foresee like, uh, you know, that, yeah, the Bitcoin mines might take a hit and we'll see if this thing goes through. But at the end of the day, like it's, uh, it's a state by state thing. Uh, at this point. Cause I do, I don't want to leave Texas, man. Like I love Texas. Like I'm a Patriot. Like I want, I want all, I want America to win. Like, you know, like it's, it's, it's unfortunate that you have um, these people and I don't, I don't know. I think it, I hate to be an ageist or whatever you call those people, but I think it's just like the age of these, of these elder statesmen, you know, and I have a ton of respect for them, but I just think they're, they've, they, they, they're missing the writings on the wall. Uh, and if they, if their younger selves could talk to them, uh, they, they would know that they would have to kind of step down. Um, yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I, you know, I, I don't think central Texas is going anywhere as far as like the Bitcoin scene goes. So I know it seems like kind of doom and gloom from, you know, what we we're talking about with the bill, but you know, it could be a step backwards. Uh, it still obviously hasn't been enacted or anything like that. Um, there's still time probably to lobby against it uh, and kind of make sure that that doesn't happen. And like I said, like, I mean, the two hubs right now in in uh in the states are definitely Austin and Nashville, and I don't see that changing anytime soon, right? I mean, I was down there for Sats by and everything like that, and I see what you guys are building down there. I don't think that that's going to change any, and I think people are going to see the value and you know what what you guys are doing at Pleb Lab and you know what others are doing Bitcoin Commons, like all that kind of stuff. Like I I don't see that happening going anywhere, but like you said, maybe mining takes a hit, which is you know, not great because I think that that would be, you know, uh, maybe losing some jobs for the state of Texas here or there. But yeah, I mean, um, I don't even know where I was going with that. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, the, the U.S. will be OK um, and uh, Central Texas will be good and that that hub will kind of stay true. Um but yeah, man, I just think, yeah, like these politicians, like you said, that not being ageist or anything, it's just, they don't have the, like, this has been a technology that's been around for what, like 2009 or so. So what, um, that's 14 years now, yeah, like I really mean, like in the thing. And, and a so, lot of them like, don't even know how to use the internet, dude. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, and it's, it's, it's almost one of those things. Like I, I, I look at them like, okay, if that was my great grandma up there, like, you know, Porasita, like I'd want to like, you know, say, Hey, like, let me show you what Google is and like how to, like how to look up information. And like, cause a lot of us know where all this is headed, especially with the whole chat GBT stuff and open AI. And like that, that thing's going to, that thing's going to level the playing field for a lot of individuals out there. It, it's, it's like a, it's a rejuvenation, just like the internet was back in the day, dude. It's like, it's going to open all sorts of businesses and like no one's planning for it. Like, it, it's frustrating. It's so frustrating yeah. to see where everything is headed. And it almost feels like you got all these people blocking everything from like flourishing right now, which we should do the night. Like we should be in it at a marvelous time. We should have flying cars already. We don't even have flying cars, Brandon. What the hell I happened? Know, what the hell happened in 1971, Brandon? We don't have flying cars. 
I know. I mean, you're, you're nailing it on the head, dude. It's like, you know, my, before my grandmother, rest in peace, but she, she was like taking classes on how to use an iPad before she passed because she didn't understand how to use the technology of that. And I mean, the iPad's fairly intuitive, right? I mean, it's fairly easy to use. Granted, Bitcoin and using those on-ramps, off-ramps, being able to pay in it, it's becoming easier for sure, but it's still not there yet where like, you know, you, you can have the older crowd and understand it and everything like that. But, you know, I, I think it just kind of comes back to like, if you go down the street to the average normie, they don't understand that, you know, Visa, MasterCard takes a 3% fee yeah. every time you swipe that card still. So I still think that there's like a knowledge gap when it comes to the money. And then when it comes to that, it's like, okay, like our money's fine. The U.S. Is, has this global reserve currency and all this kind of stuff. Like, why do I need Bitcoin? Like the U.S. is, uh, you know, we have the global reserve currency. What's in my bank account is fine. I could still go buy all this stuff. So they don't really see like an alarming issue with all of it. Sure, like, you know, some of the politicians maybe see some more of the policies, uh, you know, behind it. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, politicians, what, what they do love and what they always want to keep is that power that they've got, you know, they've worked their career for. And so, you know, if somebody is in their ear and says, hey, you know, I, this Bitcoin or crypto or whatever they tell them is something that could potentially take the power away, they're going to shoot it down right away. I mean, they have advisors and other things like that. So I really think it's kind of like this, the shady people behind it. And then, you know, the older people are just kind of the face. They don't even know what's going on. And a lot of times they like to just hide these things in bills that are like a hundred pages long. Like, you know, there's this, uh, I forgot what the bill is called, but it's like basically the, they're nicknaming it the TikTok ban bill, but it has like 85 pages in it. And what that does is it allows the government to go in and essentially look at every single thing that you looked at online. It's a big, if you think about it, it's like exactly like 1984, the book, it's like big brother, just watching you, everything that you do. And that these companies like, you know, an AT&T spectrum, wherever you get your internet or wherever you have your phone, they have to essentially report all this to the government and what you're doing and all that kind of stuff and monitor all that. So you know, I, I think like when it comes to a lot of these bills and other things like that, the spread of information now is probably, you know, a million times faster than it was like 20 years ago. But and this stuff was probably happening then. We just didn't really know about it. Now, like we're kind of uh, opening our eyes to, you know, what is really going on. And it's been kind of this cycle where people have been, you know, pushing the needle a little bit farther, kicking the can a little bit farther down the road you know, doing things like that. And then, you know, obviously 2020 happened and they saw really what people were willing to do to be uh, quote unquote safer, you know? So I think like after that happened, the government realized like, Hey, I can do basically whatever I want and uh, nobody's going to really stop me or a majority of the company or a country is going to comply. Gosh, man. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I feel like this is a, that was big doom and gloom right there. Dude. CBDC is coming. TikTok surveillance is coming. Are we in, are we in a free world anymore? I mean, were we ever? I don't know. Like, I mean, ever since like, I guess the government could feel like with the, like with the internet adoption age or other things like that, like that ever since you'd been able to get online. Right. I mean, your data is just everywhere, right? I mean, I have an iPhone, right? I mean, like I'm talking to you on a MacBook, like 
all this data that we're doing and all these things that we're doing, it's all stored somewhere, right? I mean, whether it's stored on our cloud or Apple has some sort of switch that they can tap into, like they're making a switch on all cars now too. Like, you know, that uh, if you have some sort of like electric vehicle, they could probably turn it off on you. Um, you know, we've been being recorded for a long time. Like every single car, I think since early 2000s has a black box in it now, which is basically like an airbag control modular. So this is what I did in like my first job before, uh, after I got out of college. But what that does, anytime the airbag is deployed or there's an event, it gives, it tracks a bunch of data. So it'll mm. tell them if you had your seatbelt on, if airbags deployed, how fast you were going moments before. So they can tell if you were speeding or if you slammed on the brakes, other things like that. So, I mean, you know, as much as you think like, hey, I'm not being, you know, recorded or data or something like that has not been uh, being tracked. Um, they were always tracked. Able to, yeah, at all times. And because of that, you know, I don't think we've ever been quote unquote free because we've been able to been tracked. I mean, every single one of our smartphones has like a GPS in it and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, you can turn that off, but does that turn it really off? I mean, you're like trusting a basically a third party to do all that kind of stuff. So, you know, unless you're just one of those people that has somehow lives like, you know, in a house with no TVs, no internet, nothing. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, basically a bunch of our actions have been tracked for quite some time. And because of that, I don't think that we've really been quote unquote free. They've just been letting things, I guess, slide through the wayside and they've been getting a little bit more strict lately. So, um, <laughs> you know, that's kind of how it goes, I guess. Dude. I don't know. I, I, I think this, um, yeah, I think, I think like last time we talked was, you know, I think back in February about this whole macro stuff, it seems like it's gotten worse, quite frankly, than the last time we talked. I'd have to go back and listen to the episode, but I don't remember us being this doom and gloom. What are, yeah. like, when we talk again here and, you know, next quarter, like, do you, th do you think we're going to be in a much worse situation? Will we still be alive? <laughs> are we going to be both talking from like uh, the, our, our, our storm shelters? Like, what do you, what are you seeing here? coming over here in the next few months. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting, you know, as much as like it's been doom and groom in the macro, like the S&P 500 year to date, we're recording this on, you know, Friday the 7th, year to date is up seven and a seven and a third percent. Um, and on average, it goes up eight to 10% a year. And it, so it's already up that throughout this entire quarter. We saw, you know, a lot of growth tech stocks like Tesla in January was up like over 90%. So we saw a lot of like very positive, you know, stock market movements. And I think that's because like everybody's been kind of screaming for this pivot, right? I mean, obviously the stock market is not indicative of the overall economy, but you know, it's part of the overall macro equation. So I think that personally that we're going to see a lot of like lagging effects. So we're going to see the stock market maybe melt up or kind of, uh, you know, skate on its way up for maybe throughout this next quarter or Q3, Q4. Obviously, this is not financial advice or anything like that. Um, but I think like we're, we might see the, the stock market kind of float through the rest of the year, maybe go up a little bit more on anticipation that the Fed is going to lower interest rates. Um, 
but uh, yeah, so the the stock market will be okay. But you know, as higher interest rates uh, or as the interest rates increase, or as they you know kind of stay flat or whatever the Fed ends up doing throughout the rest of the year, you know, unemployment's going to go up, which the Fed has already kind of anticipated. Unemployment numbers came out earlier this week, and they were higher than anticipated. And there's also you know a lagging indicator because. You know, it was reported on, I think, like Tuesday, the third or fourth or whatever it is. And it was, uh, you know, the numbers were capped at March 13th, I believe. So it's still another month, uh, you know, before we hear those numbers. And they were higher than anticipated. So the Fed has also pointed to that number and said it's going to increase. Um, so what does that mean for, you know, the overall economy? Obviously, like consumer spending has been going down. Um, you know, and we're, we're seeing that kind of across the board. Um, we're seeing real estate kind of stagnate in some places, maybe even going down. I was just telling some friends, uh, who came by and visited me right before here that I have a house, like two doors down from me that, uh, started off at 485 was the asking price. Now is that 385, like, and it was on the market in November still hasn't sold. So it's been dropped by over a hundred grand and it's, uh, just still sitting there and I don't see anybody really coming to visit or look at it very often. So I think, you know, real estate still got some ways to go down. I think like rents, uh, I did say at the beginning of the year that the rents were going to go up and real estate was going to kind of go down. I think we're going to kind of see, I guess the opposite effect, like more people are going to see that rents are quote unquote higher in other places if they decide to move. So more people are probably going to stay put uh, is what I've noticed so far. So I think that trend's going to kind of continue. Stock markets might maybe going to melt, melt up. And I think the Fed is probably, as far as like the interest rate policies go, they're probably going to stay, you know, around where they're at. I personally don't think that they're going to pivot um, where they're going to reverse course. But, you know, I could be wrong. The market is calling, like I said, for a 100 basis point rate cut by January. So that means they have to start cutting sometime this year. I think that it's going to be a situation maybe they don't raise in the next uh, meeting, but they raise like every other meeting or they pause for, you know, maybe three or four meetings or something like that. And then they raise like towards the end of the year um, to reach their target rate. You know, I don't know. I don't really think that they're going to pivot, though. But I just don't think it's going to be like kind of, I guess, the always raise progression that we've seen in the past uh, meetings. So I think, you know, just to wrap it up and like summarize, I think stock market's going to kind of melt up. I think real estate's going to go down a little bit. I think unemployment's going to continue to go up. And I think interest rates are going to, you know, stagnate and slowly raise throughout the rest of the year. And what do you think about what do you think's going to, what do you think Bitcoin's going to do? I mean, Bitcoin's interesting, man. Like I don't, like I was talking to somebody, I was talking to CK about this on my podcast is like, I think, you know, whatever you want to call it, Bitcoin in US dollars, the exchange rate, whatever. It's been floating around 28K. And what is interesting was after Silicon Valley Bank failed, you know, Bitcoin rose, which was kind of surprising in a sense where it's like a lot of these banks are a lot of the uh, companies that were banking with Silicon Valley Bank were, quote unquote, crypto companies. And usually when you see any sort of FUD in the crypto industry, you see Bitcoin take a hit. Well, I mean, Bitcoin actually stayed pretty strong and actually went up after that news. So I think Bitcoin is probably going to start, you know, inching its way up. I, I don't know if we're going to get any kind of uh, mooning anytime soon, but I think like Bitcoin has showed a lot of strength in staying at this 28K level. And 
you know, I think it's going to be a situation where it's going to be like coming in strong towards the end of the year. Um, and that's where it's going to be. All right. We're going to start to see maybe a recession in 2024, like a pretty bad one. If you don't think we're in one right now, I think, I think we are, but I think this situation in 2024 is going to be a little bit worse. You do. You think it's going to be worse than it is right now? Yeah. Cause I mean, I think it's like, it's, the fed is very reactionary. So it's all going to be looking at these lagging indicators, whether it's like housing, uh, you know, unemployment, other things like that. Like the fed, I don't like one, I, I think that the data that they look at is just outdated and not very accurate. And, uh, two, like, I think the fed is like, they're human, right? So like they look at these data points, which are from the months past, and then make decisions about it then for the future where it's like, all right, well, like I just told you, the unemployment numbers stopped at March 13th. So we had another month before they made, before they announced the unemployment rate. And then it's another week or two before they announce like, all right, are we going to raise interest rates or, you know, what is the CPI, for example? Um, so it's like all these numbers are basically all lagging ind- indicators from the months prior and uh, I think like, you know, it's just kind of getting down this downward spiral where the Fed doesn't really have much, uh, many cards to play, I guess, because they, they think that raising interest rates, it's like a monetary issue. This is all like monetary inflation, when in reality, like they shut down the global economy for like multiple months at a time. And you just like can't really do that and not see any after effects. So I think, you know, it, whether it's Q four ish of this year or early next year, I think that's where really where it's going to be the worst. But as far as like Bitcoin goes, it's going to be very very interesting to see how it plays out because you know that's right around the having time of next yeah, year, right? Yeah. So everybody kind of looks at these four year cycles. What I think is going to happen is that you know we we see when the Fed kind of pulls back these interest rates, a lot of people go and kind of want to more risk on assets, which is, you know, how Bitcoin has been kind of characterized by FinTwit and other things like that. So I think that we'll, we'll probably see a, a run in Bitcoin, like kind of coming on the next halving again, like maybe the, the overall economy won't be good, but it will be a situation where like growth in tech stocks, maybe do a little bit good and do a little bit better. And uh, Bitcoin probably, uh, you know, benefits from some of that. So I don't know. I'm hopeful. I'm all, all, also like ultra bullish too. So, I mean, like, you know, I, I think like it's one of those things where I always think like Bitcoin's like on the brink of kind of breaking off from this. But I still think like at this point in time of the Bitcoin's life cycle, they're still, it's still connected to the stock market and like risk on assets as much as like we don't want to admit it. Yeah. I think, I think here on my side, just like, I think the building hasn't stopped. If anything, it's increased as far as like Bitcoin companies and startups and stuff. It's just like, it's, it's um, a lot of us are, are focused on revenue first. Um, it's making us more resilient, which is good. Um, that's cool to see because uh, it, it shows for a viable future, you know, with these companies and startups. The other, the other thing, uh, the other thing I'm seeing here is like the, the, the unemployment. Yeah. Is, is happening. It's unfortunate, but it is happening. And, no sector, no industry is protected from it. The other thing too, as well, is it's going to be the, what's going to be interesting is like the, uh, the amount of growth that we're going to see happen here in Bitcoin in the next, um, and I'm talking about strictly just like the, the business side of things, like the growth that's happening already. 
um, just from what I'm seeing here in Austin, it's going to increase. It's still going to increase. Like it, it, I don't see the participation or the attention or, or, you know, you know, entrepreneurs trying to build their own company stopping anytime soon. If anything, it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to happen even faster at a faster click. And I think, um, by the end of the year, um, if you're, if you're, if you're a Bitcoiner out there, who's listening, humble pleb out there, you know, Tonko pleb out there, just, just start stacking, start stacking right now and don't stop. Cause like one, I think you're right. Once the happening happens and you see it every four years, it's going to, you're going to see a nice click up. And I, I anticipate that with a lot of the growth that's happening right now in, in this particular, at least from where I'm seeing it, it it's going to go, it's going to go parabolic um, as far as like uh, the infrastructures that's being built right now. Even Noster is becoming a whole separate type of uh, industry now of, of its own. So, Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, if you look back to 2008, you can see a bunch of companies that came out 2008, nine that are like big names now, like Uber, Airbnb, a lot of these companies, you know, kind of come out of our session or quote unquote yeah. dark time. So, I mean, because of that, like if you're building a Bitcoin company and like you're doing it the right way, like I, I truly believe like we're going to get away from these, yeah. I guess, you know, quote unquote Amazon model where Amazon basically, they were an online bookstore and people just believed in Jeff Bezos enough to like basically loan him a bunch of money and with the dot com boom, he was able to make it, uh, you know, and kind of make not have to worry about revenue for quite some time. And then all of a sudden they're like, all right, well, we need to start making revenue. So what did they do? They, they created like AWS, which is essentially like their, their main revenue driver right now. And so they did that out of necessity for their own company. But at the same time, like, you know, Amazon probably wouldn't be where it is right now if it was like just, uh, you know, I guess loan or was focused on, I guess, strictly revenue, but like so many companies have gone off that model and just failed or are like quote unquote zombie companies. Now, I think we're going to get a little bit more strict with that. Like one, because like we described earlier in the show about the regional banks and then two, like the interest rate environment and the bad economic times, like people are not going to be willing to take as much risk maybe as, uh, as they were before. Absolutely. Gosh, what a great convo, dude. Yeah, I love having conversations with you, car man. Dude, like I think if if I if I was out there, because I remember what it was like for me, you know, when the whole because I was just like I was just a I was just a Bitcoiner, just a just a pleb, you know, working an IT job. The the you know when COVID happened and stuff, and I remember, I mean, I had Thriller at the time, but I remember thinking like, what am I gonna do? Like, I need a like this is the opportunity of a lifetime. To 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 like make the make the plunge into what's going on here, and then you know fast forward three years later. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I mean, like, look, you don't have to have any sort of set of skill to go and do this. Uh, you know, build something or contribute to the Bitcoin. Um, you know, uh, I guess ecosystem. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to say like it doesn't take. I mean, just look at your background, see what you're interested in, right? I mean, if you like talking to people like start a meetup in your local area, right? I mean, like you, your case in point of like what starting a, a strong meetup and kind of bringing some people together, what that can do. You never know what that can that can do for you. I, I mean, shout out to Wes and uh, Bay Bitcoin. Uh, yeah, those guys. They're building like crazy. I mean, yeah, we have like a business workshop coming up too. And they're like really boots on the ground. And, and Wes got to the point, like, I mean, where he was able to, 
you know, quit his job and do like Bitcoin Bay full time. And he's awesome. like grinding away, getting businesses and, and doing all this these is the time things. to do it. Yeah. And so it just kind of, it, it lights a fire in me and it, it you know, it, it lets me see like, you know, what these other people are doing in the space. Um, you know, if you're interested in coding, obviously like Austin, probably the place to be, go to Pleb Lab. There's a bunch of other devs there that you could go in and talk to that'll help you out. You know, there's a bunch of courses, like even if you're interested in it, like invest in yourself. I think that's like the best thing that you can do in a market that's kind of uncertain. Like, you know, you could try to FOMO in or, you know, uh, do options trading or trade some shit coins to try to get more Bitcoin or other things like that. I think that's all like a huge risk, but the least risky thing that you could do is invest in yourself, figure out a way that you want to contribute to the Bitcoin ecosystem. And that's, you know, even if it's just, I don't know, starting some, some of your own local podcasts or doing something like that. There's never enough of those. And uh, even if it's like shit posting on Twitter or just, you know, doing something like you could, you could definitely find your avenue in the Bitcoin space. And it's such a young space. You could make your own thing, you know, that like people probably don't even know that they need yet in Bitcoin and just, uh, you know, help them that way. Maybe it's just a course on how to, you know, do cold storage or something like that, where you're going to people in your local area and just kind of helping out that way. I mean, there's a lot of great things that you can do to, you know, that you've like skills that you've acquired just from being in Bitcoin that you can, uh, you know, help contribute to the ecosystem for sure. Uh, what, do you got, what do you got going on this weekend? What are you, what are you getting into? Going some golfing or what are you going on? Uh, so, I mean, I have a buddy uh, who's, uh, so I'm in Tampa, as uh, I, I mentioned a little bit, like, uh, I don't know if I mentioned it this show, but last show I did. Um, so I'm in Tampa. I have a buddy who um, ended up marrying a girl from my track team uh, in college, but he's on the Oakland A's and they're in town. So I'm going to go watch him pitch. So nice. shout out to Mole if anybody uh, is a baseball fan. So I'm going to go watch him tonight. Um, maybe after my, my Twitter space is on Friday, then hit the boat, um, a little bit this weekend. You get out the on boat the this weekend, bro. Yeah, man. Wow. One of my buddies, like a lot of my buddies got this, uh, like boat club membership. Yeah. So, like I'm, I'm lucky where I'm the guy that like, I don't have to deal with any of it. I'm just, <laughs> hey, you want to go on the boat? I'm there, man. I'm your, I'm your guy. So Dude. Good times, guy. I'll just bring the good vibes. You know what I'm saying? Heck so. yeah, man. Like, have a great time, man. I, I, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing pictures and stuff. I, I Like, I grew up in Corpus, so it's like, dude, we used to go on the boat all the time. It's yeah, fun, dude. dude. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Anyways. Travis soon, dude. Huh? That's the place. You should get out on Lake Travis soon. Yeah, well, I've been there a couple times, but it, dude, like, I don't want to knock it, but like, it mostly like young kids just getting drunk on a boat and like, you know, acting like buffoons and stuff. Like that's not really my jam. Like I like to have like intellectual conversations and like go fishing and stuff, you know, ponder, yeah. the, ponder the facts of life, stuff like that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. Anyways, Brandon, thanks for coming on the show. Um, where, where can they find you at? Let them know. Yeah. So most active green candle it on Twitter. Uh, green candle was taken unfortunately and hasn't uh, been let up so if anybody knows the guy that like hasn't tweeted from that handle for i think like eight or nine years let, let them know i want it so yeah plebs uh, get out there let, let them know what else what else can they do for you out there what else tell the plebs um, what you need yeah I, so i got my link tree in the bio but if you go to youtube search green candle hit that subscribe button i'm really trying to grow that uh check out state of bitcoin podcast and if you're interested in more of the macro talk not as much Bitcoin related too. I have Macro Insights podcast, got a newsletter too. So Green Candle Investments newsletter on Substack. So 
got a lot going on. So yeah, you could just find uh And you're on Noster find- too, right? We can zap you yeah, on Noster. Noster. I'm on Noster as well. Green Candle IT on Noster if you have like the Domus app and you could search that. And then um, you're gonna be in Miami, right? So people can come up to you and you know. Yeah. So I'll be in Miami. Um I'll be in uh, Bitcoin Miami. Uh Use promo code Green Candle if you're uh, looking to buy a ticket, ten percent off. Wow, ten percent! Uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, wow, save that ten percent and use it to stack more sats. There you go. Uh, what is, yeah, what is the, what's the promo code again? What's the promo thing. code? Yeah, that's my promo code, Green Candle in all caps. Um, nice. And yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be trying to go to a bunch of conferences. I was lucky enough to spend a week in uh, Austin for sats by. Maybe we'll come to Bitcoin Plus Plus. We'll see, so dude. Cool. You should. I don't know. I'm, I'm uh, dude. I've, we'll have a great time at Plub Lab, and and we're gonna have a great time at the Long Center where she's throwing it. Also, I should say, like, yeah, if you guys want to come to Austin, the next best time to come to Austin is like the last week of April during Consensus. There's gonna be a lot of Bitcoin developers development going on at Bitcoin Plus Plus. So check out all that stuff because yeah, 100%. yeah. If yeah, you if you can if you can come if you can come too, that'd be great. Even if it's for a few days, but no pressure. <laughs> yeah, no pressure at all, right? Yeah, so I'll be I'll be at Miami. I think I'm going to go to the Canadian Bitcoin Conference in June oh, nice. in Toronto. Um, I'm I'm trying to go to uh, adopting Bitcoin in El Salvador. I want to go to that one. Yeah, so I heard I that's go really good. One. Yeah, I want to go to Unconfiscatable uh, Tone Bay's one in Las Vegas in December. Um, so I want to go to a bunch of different conferences and travel around. And so, um, yeah, if I want to do a lot of in-person stuff. So plebs reach out to me if there's some place that you think I should be or should I, should I, I should go, I'm open to it all. So feel free to shoot my, shoot me a DM or tweet at me or, you know, message me on Noster or something like that. Cause, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoy the, the face-to-face interaction. So, uh, that's what, that's what I want to do. Yeah. So, you know, and I'll, and I'll do my best to get there. Yeah. And, and I should say also, dude, Brandon's like. High character guy, man. I, I love Brandon. You, you came here for uh, for Sats by and like helped out, dude. It was like you're huge, man. And yeah, man. Anytime you come to Austin, you let me know. Yeah, uh, man, for sure. I mean, yeah. I'll always be. I'll be working in Plub Lab whenever I'm in Austin. Like nice. anytime I get there, I you know I I really appreciate what you're doing down there for the Bitcoin space and just like making it feel like a home for Bitcoiners. So yeah, I can't echo this sentiment enough. If you guys are in Austin or anywhere close or thinking about going, go to Plub Lab, even if it's just for a day or something like that. You know, ten dollars you get to work all the day there. You get to pick people like Cars Brain. Topher, Super Testnet, like all these great people in there. I'm not going to, I'm probably forgetting, so I apologize. You know, everybody that I met down there, I was just, I was just blown away with what's going on in it. You know, it truly inspired me to be like, oh shit, I got to get out there. It's kind of of a secret. I kind of like it like that. (laughs) I kind of like it being a little secret. We have this very humble, stay quiet, just quietly build, don't draw too much attention. And I kind of like it like that. Well, yeah, hey, hey, but I mean, I think, uh, you know, the, the secret's going to get out soon, Car. People are going to start figuring it out. And uh, you, I think you guys are going to explode here soon. Yeah. Stay humble. <laughs> Stay humble and stack sats, right? Like, like Odell says. Dude, like right now is time you, we should all be stacking. Like hard. Like really hard. Like stacking hard. I think, I think my DCA hit while we were, uh, while we were sitting here, so... Uh, I, I was stacking, I guess, while I was sitting here. <laughs> awesome. <laughs>